The Start. On Demand. demand. I don't know what kind of tipper Jeff Braun is. I know he's a Jets fan. In our next segment, we'll tell you which Canadian hockey team fans are the best tippers and which team's fans are the worst tippers. But before that, we want to start this half hour with something that I know is extremely special to Loren McNabb. Yeah, and you know what, Greg? We've got lots of reasons to celebrate women this morning, and, and always I'll argue, but at 7.45, we're going to hear from our own Leah Hextall, who we just learned yesterday is going to be taking part in that historic all-female broadcast team covering an NH- NHL game on International Women's Day. And that, of course, is one way you can celebrate by watching the game. But just ahead of that, a couple of days before that, there's another event we want to tell you about. And you're right, this is a, an event that, first of all, I'm, I'm emceeing, but I'm so proud of the work that Habitat for Humanity does each and every day, every single year. And they're hosting an event with a goal to inspire women, bring inspiring women together and share their stories to help empower others. Yeah, I just want to be perfectly clear, they do not let Loren work any of the power tools or lift a, a hammer, as no. I understand no. it. In no, the five years in, build. they don't. No. <laughs> But she is emceeing something called the Women Build Speaker Series. It's a fundraiser for Habitat for Humanity, and it takes place next Friday, just a few days before International Women's Day. Michelle Finley helps organize the event and is in studio now. Good morning, Michelle. I have to turn on your microphone here. I apologize. Let's try that again. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. First of all, tell us about uh, Women Build. Chorus, CJOB, have worked with this initiative for years. Tell our listeners what it is. Well, Women Build is a committee within Habitat for Humanity. Uh, it's a group of women that get together, and we fundraise through uh, doing a bunch of events each year to build one of Habitat's homes here in Winnipeg. Um, we've built 18 Women Build homes to date. And uh, we've just, it's a really uh, amazing group of women. Uh, Women come, some work on the build site. Uh, Our crew leaders are all women who have come up through the program and just really developed awesome construction skills. And some of us don't ever go to the work site like Loren and myself. We just uh, work on events and support on the back end raising the money. Oh, I go, Michelle. I just oh. I wouldn't say I'm a great contributor. I oh. like to walk around and just sort of like pick up some nails and hammer them into random pieces of board where it makes sense. But I, I think it's such a fun day because it really is bringing so many women together from different parts of the community with different skill sets. And and why do we think, you know, we keep talking about the advances and the equality and equity we need to find uh, between genders. And this is kind of one of those days that can prove that we can all do all things. Tell me a bit about what you like about just the idea of women getting together and building a home. Well, I think what's really important to highlight is that it's not about the exclusion of men on the build site for women build. It's about the inclusion of women where they don't normally exist. So you can go to any construction site around the province on any given day, and the population of women working there is really low. I know there's a bunch of organizations working to, you know, turn that around, and they're making small strides. But women build is really an opportunity for women to come out and just be in an inclusive environment, a supportive environment, learn some construction skills, learn some team building. And I think it's part of the overall puzzle in getting women more comfortable and understanding that they do belong there and they can contribute. So that's the goal of the build and that's the result. You mentioned 18 homes built by women over the years. What's the goal behind the speaker series? So I came up with the idea for the speaker series because I like hearing from women that have been successful and are, you know, just role models for myself. Even in my 40s, I still look for 
women mentors that, uh, you know, can inspire me to new levels in my own life. And I really found there was a lack of opportunities for me to go hear local women speak. So I thought this would be a good combination between International Women's Day, Women Build, and getting these women from our community. So luckily, Winnipeg has no shortage of amazing women. So we've had Mariette Moller from the World Trade Center, Dr. Gigi Osler, Jeanette Montefort, Dana Spiring, um, and it's just been uh, phenomenal. And this year, I'm just thrilled. Uh, this is our fifth event, uh, still sponsored by uh, Qualico, and Wawanisa is a, uh, pres- uh, pardon me, a platinum sponsor, and then you folks are always on board with us to help. And uh, this year, we have Jessica Dumas, who is just Phenomenal. She owns her own very successful coaching business, and she's the first Indigenous uh, woman chair of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what she uh, has to say. Her story is really inspiring. I can't wait to hear her story either, because one of the things that I think is cool about the speaker series, Michelle, is that every year uh, the crowd changes and it's men and women. It's not just about bringing women together, but there's a lot of women who come and moms that might bring their daughters or bring their sisters or bring their parents. It's kind of like this way to kickstart your day in in a pretty cool way because it's a breakfast yeah. Meeting, right. So you get the day going. Yeah. I didn't want to when I came up with the event, uh, I have a busy day all the time. So I wanted to have something to start the day. And I felt like the breakfast fundraiser uh, time slot was underserved. So I went for it and it worked. Well, you got to love this initiative. You got to love what Habitat does overall. And uh, I really like the fact that you prefaced all of this. This is not about the exclusion of men. This is about celebrating uh, what women can do, uh, heightening their, their skills, not only physically in terms of what they what we don't normally associate with women and uh, the work that's being done in the community is just overall powerful. Habitat for Humanity, I remember the first build, never would I have imagined that the relationship would be 30 plus years and hundreds of homes in our community. It's just been such a wonderful addition to to the landscape, something that I think at the time the sense was it might be a one and done thing. Yeah, I think Habitat's been around since 1987 in uh, Winnipeg, and it really is one of the most... um uh, busy chapters in Canada. It really, it's forward thinking. Uh, they had a net ha- zero house uh, in the past. They, they're just really, uh, their houses are really energy efficient. They were kind of at the forefront of that, knowing that that would benefit their families. Um, they're very, uh, when they go into neighborhoods to build, they really include the whole neighborhood in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they're, uh, they've just done a tremendous job. I did start my career with them and really opened my eyes to the benefits of, um, of, uh, you know, affordable housing for people. And really, affordable housing is also a women's issue. A lot of, uh, you know, the lack of housing uh, for uh, women is a significant issue because many of them, uh, we have many single moms. Our family this year is a single mom with three daughters. Uh, she's a home support worker, and uh, she's going to be moving her family into the uh, the development on Templeton that we're building. Yeah, the advantage of owning a home and, and building wealth for yourself yeah. as opposed to paying rent to yep. someone else is uh, such a, a wonderful thing. Michelle Finley, always great to see you. Thank you for uh, what you do in this capacity. We'll We'll speak soon. Thanks. And before she goes, can I just get, are there tickets left for next Friday, Michelle? Yeah, there's lots of tickets left. Uh, We always get a great uh, room at the convention center, so tickets are still available, habitat.mb.ca. All right, Greg Macklin, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortune, of course, Loren McNabb on this Friday morning. You good tipper? Does it matter which team you cheer for? Is there a city or a team's fans that are the best tippers? Well, according to a survey, 
There is. And the Winnipeg Jets, I hate to tell you, Jets fans <laughs> are the least generous of the Canadian The most cash conscious, if you would, please. <laughs> this is just based on what? Like a tip jar at the when you buy a beer at the Jets game or what? No, a Square. You know that uh, company that where you, you can yeah. uh, swipe your, your card? Uh, they, they work with your iPhone. It's for small businesses. But they did a yeah. survey over the uh, several weeks and, um, well, bottom line was the Edmonton Oilers had the most generous. Yeah, now this was just amongst Canadian teams. This too, is by just the, the Canadian yeah. teams. Yeah. Okay. No, I, 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 I'm still not following. Like, they did when do you have an opportunity to leave someone a tip at a Jets game? Well, no, no, no. no, no, no. You swipe your card, and then it asks, "Do you want a tip?" And you swipe can say your card yes. For what? To buy a beer. beer like to buy first, a that's what I said. I said yeah. for a beer, and you guys said no. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah, but not at the game. This this was a survey of fans at drinking <laughs> or eating establishments. Oh, I thought you meant at the game. No, not then at the what game. What does being oh, a Jets fan I have to do with was, it? I thought this was at the game as well. I, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start the segment over, gang. So the bottom line no, is Oilers fans <laughs> tip about 20%. Yes. Jets fans about 17%. Okay. So there's no oh, that's close. Yeah. Just yeah. to clear this up, this is a review of tipping habits of hockey fans at bars during at-home games. That's at what bars. I said. Yes, I know. Okay. But Sorry. I just you feel like we have to restart. So <laughs> no. we're cheap at bars during home games. So we're cash Oilers, conscious. Oilers, then Canadians, then Senators, then the Leafs fans, then Canucks, then Flames, then us. Our average tip is 17%, which technically isn't that far off of the average tip of the Edmonton Oilers fans, which is 20%. But it looks like we all tip more when we're losing, which probably means we're drinking more. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Try to make yourself feel better from a loss, buddy. I think that might be drink away your sorrows. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. And, of course, Jets fans, it's been a 50-50 coin toss for the better part of a year at home. They're about 500 yeah. in the last calendar year at home. But uh, that aside, uh, are you a generous tipper, Kelly Moore? Uh, actually, I am when the service uh, is uh, is deserving of that. As a matter of fact, just last Friday night, we, we discovered a new favorite restaurant. Uh, am I allowed to say that? I don't see why not. I, because I have no skin in the game. All I know is the food was good and the service was well, even better. Us. It was at Junction 59. Oh, yes, I've been there new, myself. Uh, fairly new place at uh, Region and Lash. Anyway, uh, yeah, we uh, we gave the server a 20% tip because she was so good and the food was excellent and on time. Well, this makes you an Oilers fan then, according to yeah. this chart. Well, I'm not a Calgary fan. You know, the thing that I noticed <laughs> at that was there's a 2.5% difference between Edmonton and Calgary fans, and they're in the same province. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what would account for that. Other than the fact the Oilers are are playing better than the Flames, at least a, just a tiny bit. Could be. Jeff Braun, are uh, you a generous tipper? Yeah, I do 20% regardless. And because I, I'm not going to, I'm not, not maybe, maybe not because I'm generous per se, but because it's the easiest math to do. <laughs> now, uh, here's just, a question. Figuring out 10% is simple and doubling it's just as simple. Now, do you do... 20% on the entire bill, or do you do it pre-tax? Oh, just on the total. I'm, oh, boy, you're tipping more than wow, 20% yeah. then, buddy. I'm not, yeah, I'm not about to take out a calculator and try and figure out what it ought to be. Well, you need to get one of uh, Seinfeld's uh, tip, tip calculators. calculators. Yeah. The Willard? <laughs> the Willard, exactly. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? 20%, 20%. And that's on the full total? Full total, yeah. 
Okay, well, I guess these guys aren't going to enough hockey games, uh, McNabb. <laughs> well, un- unless 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 I have like really really bad yeah. service, then and you'll if the only take fifteen percent. Yes, then, then I go down fifteen. Yes. Oh my gosh! Wow, where were you in my day at well, serving I just, tables? I hate being feel like like I feel like I'm being judged. You know, yeah. nobody's judging you, Jeff. I also usually complicate the order because I'm a picky eater, and I mm-hmm. just like things plain. So I'm always like, "This is what I want," but. This is how I want it. It's, I can't just order a cheeseburger. I have to make all these specifications that it only be cheese and meat in a bun and nothing else. Blah, 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 blah. Well, that's really easy to make a, uh, in the kitchen. But I feel like it still upsets the cook. But Loren, do you think uh, Jeff should be worrying about this so much? <laughs> about the upsetting the cook? That sounds like an easy order. It's more about the waitress getting it wrong or having to write down all your know this, know that, just this on the side and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't it matter if you're ordering food or not? Like I, I want to say I'm honestly between like a 17 and a 22. And sometimes depending on like how how busy they are and how frazzled I think things are in the place. Like if it's just empty and it's just one person and they brought you one drink I, I, versus like that busy restaurant where they're going crazy and remembering all your stuff, like they deserve more. It shouldn't, I don't like the blanket. I always do this. Here's, here's a question. Who tips at uh, beer vendors? Nope. Oh, do you? No. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but they ask, don't they, if well, you're on, paying on by machine, debit? On the, the machine, machine says But, but there's there. also a, a tip cup, and I used to work at a vendor, and uh, here and there, you know, like, some people will, will pay with cash, and they'll have, like, 50 cents, and they don't want to put that in their pockets, so they'll put it into the cup, and at the end of the shift, you know, Hold I would on. have, like, 30 Kelly's got a look on his bucks. face like, he's yeah. like, I've I, never heard of these people before. I, you know, I tip at beer vendors. I really? Tell them, yeah, sure, yeah. Even if them. you have to go get the case yourself and everything. Bet on Morning Glory in the fifth at Assiniboia Downs. Oh, Don't stand up in a canoe. <laughs> that's like the never eat yellow snow. Used to love when uh, guests would give you, here's my tip for you, never eat yellow what snow. What about at the barbershop? <laughs> Thanks a lot. At barbershop, Absolutely. <laughs> I do, too. Oh, yeah, They're in no. massive control of how you look or I how f- you don't look. I feel like well, no, I feel a bit the- like a sucker, though, because I've got, like, basically a bowl haircut. Like, it's the easiest haircut they'll do all day is cutting my hair, so. Well, they also rent out the chair, so. Uh, in a lot of cases, you're yeah. right, they do. I'll tell you this. If, uh, I don't know how many of you go to Mexico, but if you do, be prepared to tip for everything. That's and a I good mean point, everything, including like, going e- to the washroom. Even even when you go, yeah, even when you go, grow, you know, buy a few groceries or whatever, there'll be I'll, oftentimes there'll be a, a young child that'll be there bagging your groceries. And boy, I'll tell you, if you don't throw them a couple of pesos or two, you know, they'll kind of give you the stinky eye. McNabb, do you uh, do you buy the chiclets from the kids on the streets in Mexico? Oh, I'm the worst. If I have money on me, I I have it all gone before we even got into the hotel because I'm handing it out to anybody who asks for it. I feel. Yeah, like if there's somebody on the street selling something and they're a child, they're getting my cash. You've got me. You've got me no matter what you're selling. I'll never forget the time I was in Mazatlan and the kid asked me for some money. And I looked at him. I said, how old are you? He goes, I'm 12. I said, you're old enough to get a job. (laughs) And he kicked me. (laughs) But here's a 20. (laughs) I said, you're not even selling anything. You're just asking me for money. Go get a job. And he kicked me. And, of course, we we had a little bit of a laugh because I had been giving him money all week long. 6.56. Guys, uh, keep tipping. Those are great uh, tipping percentages. And uh, McNabb, I'm just going to say this. I'm glad it's you that called the server a waitress and not me. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, fair enough. Yes. Well, I was a waitress back in the day. You don't say that anymore. For You're right. shame. For shame. They're servers. Hey,
Hey, Jeff, I want to clear up a misconception here because one of our loyal listeners, Tom, says 20% tip. What are you guys, rich? Yeah, no. 10% maximum for Tom. So, yeah, we just want to clear that up, right? That we're not rich? Yeah. That Correct. we're not rich? No. You- <laughs> Most of my clothes say CJOB on them. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. We'll see you at 730. Uh, Jump run. Great, we're good. We're getting a ton of feedback on the tipping thing. Like some people tip the gas station attendant. Yeah. Someone's talking about the, that they tip the vendor. Like it's fascinating. It is. And uh, all the different calculations. Denny, thanks for the, the math oh, lesson on, on the, on the tipping. Me. No, I think it probably confused uh, both of us, but I did <laughs> like it a lot. And then one of our listeners, thank goodness uh, people didn't practice this when I was serving back in the day, uh, that you're not supposed to tip on the liquor. Mm. Only on the food. Come on. Before the tax, not on the liquor. Uh, uh, that was that was uh, your magic elixir there. Uh, someone who liked fine food and uh, fine wine and a nice big bill usually turned into a very generous tip. Agreed. So anyway, keep those messages coming on that and anything else we're speaking about this morning. The conversation is always open to you at 204-780-6868. Greg, Loren, Brett, back on Monday. Jeff Forche here keeping us all on task and uh loren let's start this hour with uh concerns about the markets and coronavirus fears aren't only a public health concern but they are very quickly becoming an economic health concern as well so here's what we know today the asian stock markets have also fallen further today on the spreading of this virus and the fears that that brings. And that's deepening a global route after Wall Street endured its biggest one-day loss yesterday, its biggest one-day drop in nine years. So Tokyo's benchmark fell by a wide margin of 3.4%, and Shanghai, Hong Kong, Seoul, they all dropped by 2%. Oil prices also slumped further. And investors who have been confident that the disease that emerged in China was under control, well, they've also been, I, I think, jolted is the right word, by outbreaks in Italy, South Korea, Iran. And the worry is this virus is really turning into a global threat, Greg, and that we're going to see all sorts of further disruption in the supply chain from factory shutdowns and travel bans and anti-disease measures that are already, as we know, hurting the Chinese consumer spending. Yeah. In North America yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 1,190 points. That was its largest one-day point drop in history, bringing its loss for the week to 3,225 points, or 11.1%. To put that in perspective, the Dow's 508-point loss in October 19th and 1987 was equal to 22.6%. The U.S. losses extended a slide that has wiped out gains major indexes had already posted this year's. Investors came into 2020 feeling confident the Federal Reserve would keep interest rates at low levels and the U.S.-China trade war opposed less of a threat to company profits after the two sides reached a preliminary agreement in in China. Pardon me. In January, uh, in Montreal and Toronto, technical issues forced those two markets to shut down early yesterday afternoon. So what does this mean for your investments and for our economic being overall? We are joined by Grant White, Portfolio Manager and Investment Advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're We're good. And, And, you know, you said yesterday... Uh, that you, you sort of stay the course was the mentality, but it doesn't sound like a lot of people worldwide are doing that, at least when we look at the stock numbers. 
No, you're absolutely right. And I, actually, this is a pretty common uh, trend that we see when we uh, we get these types of events going on is that uh, people will undoubtedly be selling off out of fear, and, um, and which is ultimately driving stock markets lower. And so uh, it's a common theme that we see. Um, one of the things that separates the best investors in the world from the rest is is their ability to, ability to stay disciplined to their process. And so, so that's what we're preaching right now is, is to stay disciplined uh, and, and cautious at the same time. I mean, there's no doubt that there's some things going on that you need to be aware of. So in terms of these markets, we touched on it a tiny bit, uh, Grant, and the concern emanates from the possibilities of slower production in China, the fact that markets uh, might be uh, unstabilized by the notion that goods may not get to market as quickly and there may be fewer people to consume those uh, consumables once they get there. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that, uh, you know, this that's the major thing we're worried about right now is there's undoubtedly going to be a sales drop. Uh, you know, you've seen companies like Apple and Microsoft report that they have disruptions to their supply chains. Uh, we're seeing it in automakers, uh, bus makers, uh, you name it. And anybody that's relying on, on uh, factories that are in these areas, especially in China, that have been impacted already, obviously the concern going forward now is, is uh, as China is almost seeming to be getting through the challenges, or at least getting used to them, um, with the spread of the virus through other parts of the world, uh, does that same challenge spread everywhere else as well? And in particular, does it spread to the United States, uh, which has really been the driver of global growth over the last year and a half? Um, and if we start seeing problems there, we already had a slowing economy, a global economy. Um, so if we start seeing trouble in the U.S., then, uh, then we could see a lot of trouble going forward. So when we look in the head today and we look at what happened in Toronto uh, with the Montreal and the Montreal exchange as well, we that fell after a sell-off. The technical issues came after that. What what are we expecting today? What do we read into that, if anything? You know, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting timing on that glitch that happened because the market was down about one point nine percent of the time. It wasn't triggered by uh, I think the fear of some people had up front was that it was a circuit breaker glitch uh, or a circuit breaker halt, which uh, which it was not the case, but um, but you know what we can expect is that the market sold off big in the U.S. after that after that technical glitch happened, and there might be some catch up in the U- uh, in the Canadian markets today. Although it did give people a, a chance to breathe a little bit as well, and so there should have been some evaluation of things overnight. So what does this mean for the average investor? And and what if you say, oh, you know what, I don't have any stocks, I don't own any stocks. Uh, explain to folks uh, that might believe that their investments aren't involved in the stock market that they most likely are, whether they know it or not. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, you know, you might be a mutual fund investor that is uh, invested in the stock market. Uh, so I, usually, or it's rare, I should say, to see people that don't have any sort of exposure to the stock market in their portfolios, whether they're conservative or very growth-oriented investors. Um, ultimately, what this means is I think if you're a growth investor and, and you're not relying on your money for your, uh, for your income at this point, um, then this is opportunity hunting, hunting time. There's lots of uh, opportunities that are arising out of this, uh, this market and this volatility. So you want to keep your eyes open. Um, in particular, I think there's some great companies in China like Alibaba. Um, there's some great companies that actually play well to, uh, to a situation where people aren't leaving their houses, things like even a Netflix might be worth looking at or, or grocery delivery services. So you, you want to keep your eyes open for those opportunities. For those people that are relying on their portfolios, you definitely want to be cautious about this market. I, I would say you need to stick to, uh, you need to, stick to your process 
and make sure that you have a really well diversified portfolio going forward. So we're seeing some really nice gains in the bond market. Um, so it's not that everything's bad. It's just the stock market, uh, you know, has certainly uh, caused some fear out there. So uh, just keep your eyes open for opportunities in different asset classes as well. Hey, Grant, uh, great opportunity to speak with you more extensively. We'll visit with you in about an hour's time in our regular business report. Thanks for your insight on this. We appreciate it very much. Anytime, guys. Thanks so much. Well, every Tuesday and Thursday, right around this time, we bring you Hextall on Hockey, the insights of our own Leah Hextall on not just the Jets, but the league and the state of hockey itself. Well, yesterday was a big day for Leah and for many of us, actually, when we heard this news, when we learned that Rogers Sportsnet has announced that Leah is going to be part of an historic broadcast, the first ever all-female broadcast calling the game on International Women's Day. Leah will provide the play-by-play. Cassie Campbell-Pascal will give analysis and Christine Simpson will report. And Leah joins us now. Good morning and congratulations, Leah. Good morning, Loren and Greg, and thank you very much. It's, uh, it was an exciting day yesterday, so thanks for having I, me. I understand you've actually known about this for weeks. That had to have been hard to keep under wraps. <laughs> I've known about this for months. I've known since mid-December and I've been sitting on this. Actually, you know, this actually goes back for almost a year. When I was calling the Clarkson Cup, the CWHL Championship, last March, I was in Toronto. And the executive producer for Hometown Hockey, Allison Redmond, came up to me and said, we're going to do this. You're ready to call an NHL game. And I want to do a full female broadcast. And I think the important thing what people have to understand is it's not just the faces on the camera with myself and Cassie and Christine. But we have women producing, directing, and Allison herself as the executive producer is one of the only female executive producers in hockey. Maria Skinner, one of the only female producers. And Dawn Landis, who they took from TSN. And that shows that this means so much because you put you know, competitiveness of networks aside, because Don Landis is the only woman who directs hockey, NHL hockey, in this country. So this has really, really been a great effort by them that's been worked on for almost a year now, and it's finally coming to fruition on March 8th. Uh, Leah, you and I have been talking hockey for almost a decade now. Uh, you know, your analysis and your expertise is always appreciated and it's uh, so tremendously insightful. And I don't say any of that uh, other than from my heart and to just tell you how proud I am for you and so happy for you that this has come to fruition for you. What does it mean to you? Well, I'd love to say that, you know, this is a dream come true, but it's not, it's not because I, like so many of us, whether you're female or male, I didn't grow up listening to a woman call an NHL game. I mean, that's something. I'm 40 years of age and I've never heard a female call an NHL game on national television and I've watched a lot of hockey in my life. So on Sunday, on March 8th, the fact that I will finally hear that as a female, standing alongside Cassie Campbell-Pascal, to hear two women call an NHL game, the fact is going to be my voice, but it truly means a great deal. And I know that some people may think that this is gimmicky, but I really hope that that narrative slides away, because this is about representation. And because I never saw that growing up, I didn't really even think I could do it. And now there's going to be a generation of little girls who have the ability to see this 
And if you can see it, I believe you can be it. And that's important across the board, whether it's in sports broadcasting or CEOs of companies. And that's why this game means so much, because we are going to hear a different voice and a different narrative on March 8th for the very first time in a league that's over 100 years of age call a game. And to me, that's just a tremendous effort by everybody involved. And I'm just so thrilled and humbled to be a part of it. Well, I was just saying the other day about the idea that you don't turn on any broadcast now without seeing what to me feels like a growing, growing towards that equal representation. And it doesn't have to be equal, like four and four and five, you know, five men for five boys. But the idea that you turn on the TV now and where 15, 20 years ago, the woman might have stood out. Now I don't even know. You just don't think about it. And that's where we need to be. We need to be where this isn't an event that it's happening, but that it, it is the norm, Leah. That is the goal, Loren, right? And, you know, that is so important. And we are seeing women, I've, I've talked about this before, when I first started 17 years ago, I was usually the only woman in the room. Now, there's women everywhere in sports broadcasting, and they're doing such a tremendous job. But at the same time, we still have room to grow. And this is the type of position in the play-by-play role that, you know, listen, I'm not probably the best person in the world at play-by-play, but I'm one of the only women doing it. And it's a very hard skill. So, We need to see women continuing to push ourselves out of our comfort zone because this is not comfortable in any way for me because this will be my 12th game that I've ever called. It's almost been a full calendar year since I did the NCAAs. This is really difficult. So, you know, we need to keep pushing to make sure we go out of our comfort zones and we strive in order to get to positions that we haven't traditionally occupied. Well, in the words of Bart Scott, can't wait. Can't wait well, to see this, you. Leah. Can I give, you guys, can I give one shout-out? I know you guys don't have a lot of time here, um, but I just want to thank the Manitoba Junior Hockey League really quickly mm-hmm. here. Kim Davis and Kevin Surratt, the commissioner and the director of hockey operations, they've allowed me to call games this year for them. And like I just said, I haven't had a rep since the NCAA. And that relationship with them and Dave Anthony, who calls the Steinbach Pistons, has allowed me to come out. And he's moved aside so that I can call games this year to practice for this NHL game. So I just want to give a thank you because that's so important. This just isn't about women. If we don't have our male partners, we can't do this alone. And they've been great male partners for me. And I just wanted to give them such a huge thank you. And thank you, you guys, as well, for all your support at CJOB. Of course, Leah. Leah Hextall, congratulations one more time. A week Sunday, she will be the play-by-play voice on Sportsnet, an all-female production of hometown hockey. One of the things that uh, a lot of people like to do, not only out of necessity, but maybe for pleasure and recreation, is shop. And mm-hmm. one of the more popular shopping areas anywhere, not only in Winnipeg, but anywhere in Canada, is right here at Pola Park. And, uh, well, we've been telling you about this opportunity, this potential development that uh, Shindico and Cadillac Fairview would like to see. The Winnipeg Airport Authority is not opposed to the potential of this new residential build, the authority CEO said, but the noise rules in the airport's vicinity need to be re-examined before piecemeal developments are approved. So what we're talking about here, as you mentioned the two names, Greg, Shindico Development and Cadillac Fairview, they want to construct a series of commercial and residential high and low-rise buildings around the mall that, as far as the airport concerned, could potentially stifle their 24 operations if improperly planned. So the developers plan to propose an amendment, maybe like a middle ground here, to the protection area in a presentation to the City Hall's Assiniboia Community 
March 3rd. The city's public service, however, has already recommended the proposal be quashed at committee because of that airport protection area. And many people might not know this. There's a zone around the airport that's protected as far as development's concerned because they don't want to end up in this situation with thousands of people moving in and then complaining about that noise, Greg. Yeah, and I've already said how odd I find it. I wonder how our next guest feels about it. City Councillor Kevin Klein is a member of the Assiniboia Community Committee and joins us now. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. Always appreciate your time. I find it odd that the city has this stance based on the the location of Polar Park. It's further west than the towers of Polar Park. It's further north, or pardon me, east of the airport uh, than... Uh, okay, I'm going to start again because i, I got to close my <laughs> eyes here. The towers <laughs> of Polar Park is closer to the airport, further west. You have Kiltartan Towers, which is, you know, you could argue closer to the airport, at least to the landing uh, path uh, of one runway at uh, the airport. And you have the, all those apartment buildings on Queen Street, not to mention one of the most popular neighborhoods in all of Winnipeg in the path of uh, two runways at uh, Richardson International Airport. What's your take on this? Um, I'm just trying to get my directions right now. Yeah, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. We're in the West. Or the, I, you know what? You, you raise a very valid point. Uh, I think there's uh, the one building that you mentioned uh, that everyone knows when you come up Route 90 is uh, 15, 16 stories, I believe. They have a pool on top, and then you have a, a hotel fairly close that I believe is seven or eight stories. Look, I... This is just an example of due diligence. The the recent uh, airport um, plan for the city of Winnipeg was done in 1994. And I, I think a lot has changed since 1994. Aviation has changed since 1994. I would have uh, preferred we got on this uh, six, seven months ago when I believe the conversation started and put the parties together. Um, and we haven't done that yet. And, and I agree with you, uh, Greg, that it, it really does seem odd that we'll just go right back to a 1994 report and say, well, we have to base it on that. Maybe that's the rules they have to follow. I'm not blaming the public service. But it would, be, it would have been, I think, more advantageous when this first came out to say, look, uh, this report was done back in 1994. I was only five years old. Um, and it needs to be updated, or we need to talk to some other jurisdictions who have seen massive uh, airport growth. And they've seen, you know, at runways added, if you look at Calgary and you look at other places across Canada, and have a conversation with them. Because it's not like we're recreating the wheel for Winnipeg. But we, you know, we, we kind of st- sat back and said, oh, here's the rule. Can't, uh, See you later. Thanks for coming. That's not how we're going to grow our city. You mentioned that expansion at airports across the country. We know in Richmond, we were highlighting yesterday, Richmond, B.C. has approved this sort of huge complex, much like Cadillac and Shindico would do, would want to do, residential-wise. And then it, they, they found this middle ground, and it seems odd to me that, you know, the onus would be on the airport to to be worried about these concerns. If a developer wants to develop a residential complex and people move in and complain, isn't that on the people or the developer for, for potentially how that building was constructed? Absolutely. And I have said that at, uh, at meetings that we've had on the council floor about this. I don't know why we're not just simply putting a caveat there is make sure you let residents know you're in the path of a runway. If they choose to live there, they choose to live there. Um, I, I 
And you're right. Why we're leaving this on the onus of one or two people makes no sense. We, at council, when it was first talked about, I asked Economic Development Winnipeg, have you sat down with the two departments or the two organizations, sorry, and tried to find a path to success? The answer was very vague. I believe it was no, but very vague. That's what I believe we have. We pay the money for to these different organizations to sit down with these groups at a table and find a solution. We'll find one, um, but going through this process, I don't think it's very good for the city's brand. Uh, we spend, you know, I don't know how many millions of dollars on uh, management at the city of Winnipeg, um, but we're leaving this to our planners to say, just follow the rules, and that's the end of it. Okay, so, uh, Councillor Klein, here's the other side of this. I understand uh, that the airport uh, envisions uh, some incredible growth over the next couple of decades. Uh, there's talk of a third runway. Uh, the 24-hour operation is obviously a great advantage versus some other airports in North America. We don't want to get in the way of that. I completely understand. But they've built, I think there are three hotels right on the grounds at the airport, like within about 100 feet of the terminal. I don't understand why they don't understand that, that building a, a, a structure now versus 1994 is completely different, and people who go and stay at the airport hotel aren't picking up the phone and complaining to the government, the city, or the airport authority about the noise if there is any. I agree. When I, I live on a runway path. I, and some nights you can hear a plane go over. It, de- it depends on the conditions. But most of the time, be, being brutally honest, I, I don't. I don't hear them. Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, they don't wake me up out of my bed. They don't. Uh, I guess on a, on a summer night, if you want some fresh air and you open your window and you know it's two o'clock in the morning and you're not quite asleep and one goes by, you hear it. But it doesn't change the quality of life. Uh, and you're right. We have all these uh, locations near the airport. It, it, let's go back to the real problem. The real problem here is that the city of Winnipeg has a job to do, and that's to help this help the community go forward, help develop business, help the airport grow. So why are we all not sitting down? We seem to be kicking the can over to other people and say, you know what, you go ahead and decide. We, we, we don't want to do this one. We're afraid of what it might do politically. We need to take a bold stance on this and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down, the, all three parties. We're not going to leave this room until we come to an agreement. I think we would reach one fairly quickly. Kevin, can you give us in 30 seconds what happens on the 3rd? I think, um, you know, uh, they're going to co- both parties will come. They'll give their presentation. There'll be talk of, um, you know, this is the policy, public services following what they have to follow. Um, if they get into uh, re- uh, redoing the study, uh, I agree that that should be done. But should it hold this project, we're all that's going to have to be decided there. Um, I, but. You know, I've learned from this that in if this one's 1994, we need to use some of our resources and go back through time and start looking at bylaws that, that are uh, stopping development and fix them now before it's a problem like this again. We appreciate it very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. City Councilor Kevin Klein, he represents Charleswood. He is also a member of the Assiniboia Community Committee, and I know I think it's St. James and Tuxedo as well. Uh, Kevin Klein joining us this morning. Loren, Brett, of course, has been off all week. And uh, what has he been doing in his off time? He's 
been out reading to kids. Schools. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, of course. He's got he's been on vacation, but he's gone to read to kids as part of this important month. And he's not the only one who's sharing the gift of his great voice, because I think we can all agree he's got a great voice. No question. Our next guest wrote us last week to introduce us to Olivia, who has also been reading to kids. Take a listen. Hi, students at Clifton School. This is Olivia here. I'm glad you're participating in I Love to Read Month. Learning to read is very important, and it's good you are learning early. So if you think there's something up, you would be right. In the video on that clip, you can see a dog in front of a book reading, in quotation marks, to kids at Clifton School, great school in the West End. We are guessing the voice is actually that of her owner, Shawnee Scatliff. Both Shawnee and Olivia join us in studio now. Good morning, Shawnee. Good morning. How are you? I'm really well. I'm just going to move your mic. I just want to move that microphone in front of you just a little bit more, Shawnee, so we can hear you. And uh, good morning, Olivia. Oh, my gosh. She is so sweet. What kind of dog is she? Uh, Olivia is a cross between a Schnauzer and a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. And when I looked it up on the uh, on the web, they're calling them giant um, uh, King Schnauzers. So it's a breed that someone is. She's a rescue dog, so she may have other things in her, but that's predominantly what she is. Perhaps that's why Shawnee that she relates so well to the kids in terms of you know a rescue dog with a a different background brought into a loving home because you introduced us to her. Not just because she's reading reading to the kids, and again in quotes, but because she does such great work with the kids. She's a therapy dog, right? Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, she's a St. John Ambulance Therapy Dog who absolutely adores kids. And she works with the children at Clifton School and uh, looks forward to those weekly visits all the time. And she's very well received at the school um, by the children as well. So tell us a little bit about that voice we heard. So it's not my voice. Um, oh. It's actually a voice. It's my husband's voice, if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> he, he, he did this for us when, um, when the school, what happened is, is the children that, uh, that Olivia works with, they, at Christmas time, they all made her Christmas cards and it, they were so nice and they gave her a gift certificate uh, to buy more treats because she's very treat oriented and the children give her treats and make her do tricks and um, and so anyways, we would always run out of treats. So they, so they gave her that. And I wanted to say thank you. And my husband was fooling around with this app and doing these things with dogs. And I said, would you get Olivia to say thank you to the children and name all the children? Because it was so nice what they did. And, and that went over really well at the school on our next visit. And then uh, one of the teachers there, uh, Root, said, why don't we, and for I Love to Read Month is February, you know, we're bringing in some sports stars and some politicians to read books, but I think the children would love if Olivia could read them a book. And so we put it together. Um, we had to put it in, in certain sort of um, clips because it, the book was fairly long. It was a Robert Munch book. And uh, and so we did that. My daughter linked it all together, and we gave it to the school. And now she can uh, she read to the children the Robert Munch book. <laughs> I want to be in a book, or put me in a book. So that is fantastic. Well, wanted to ask about that because um, you know we've heard a lot, Greg. And we've talked. We we were just talking about the passing of Rusty, the therapy dog, a few weeks ago, the beloved dog who visits hospitals. And we often think about dogs working in that context and with PTSD and soldiers and all sorts of things. Shawnee, I don't know if I've really thought about their their role with kids and how they might help reduce anxiety 
and stress. How many kids does she work with and, and what kind of situations is she helping with? Well, she works with children that may be suffering from some challenges in life. And uh, when they come into the room, they usually come in three at a time in a smaller room. And sometimes it can just be for stress relief. If they're going through something um, in their past that may be traumatic to them, it can be a very calming situation. So they come in and I have sort of these these gloves, I, you know, I, you may have seen them. You put them on your hand, it has little pointy things, and it takes the, the hairs off the dogs. Well, I have three of them, and the three children will put them on and then just stroke her and, and brush her, and they feel like they're brushing her, and she loves it. Anyone would love it. It just feels so good. Um, so, th- so that could be part of it. Um, part of it is um, it's very comfort and calming for them. So we go in the morning. They start their school day off happy. They've they've been with a the dog. They've talked to the dog. They've you know made the dog do tricks, and and they, they it's a very calming situation. But it also helps. I would say things like their self confidence and their self esteem. Um, I I get I take Olivia to the animal actors to do some trick classes just because I she's got a repertoire of tricks but I always want to learn more and I tell the children this is this is what she's learned here's a treat let's get you to make do that trick and they do it and so they get a, a real good feel of confidence that hey I was able to help Olivia learn that trick or or get her to do that trick. And then some of them come up with new tricks on their own. Um, Olivia, for years, would only shake a paw on one on one paw. This little girl decided she's going to shake a paw on the other paw and worked with her and got her to do that. So they feel really, really good about that. Um, some of the children, they're not going to, they don't feel confident speaking. So now they can talk to Olivia. They tell Olivia to do things. They speak to her. They ask me questions about Olivia. So that helps them with their speaking. Um, it helps with uh, turn-taking. There's three of them in the room. You know, they can't all make her do a trick at once. So they learn that, you know, someone goes first, someone goes second, someone goes third. Um, so they learn things like that. So it's it's an amazing program um, for the children at that school. And we'll give a shout-out to St. John Ambulance, who you do this work uh, on behalf of your volunteer. Olivia is beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for what you do, Shawnee. This is a tremendous opportunity to meet you. Come back and see us again sometime. Thanks so much for having me. And just so you know, when I went to the reception, I had about 10 women petting her and saying how much they would love to have a dog here. So maybe that's Aww. something you can think of. Absolutely. Good idea. Very good idea. <laughs> We're in the home stretch of this week's edition of The Start. And uh, can I confess to you that I can't wait for the weekend to begin? Well, there's not, there's no shame in that confession. Okay, well, I just don't want you to take it personally. Like, you know, no. I haven't enjoyed working with you don't, this week. Don't call me, don't text me, don't email. I don't want to hear from you until Monday morning. And I mean that in the nicest of ways. Okay, I'll take that in the nicest of ways. <laughs> As I take all of our text messages, even when you're critical and you disagree with us, 204-780-6868. Sure. And usually we find a way to find middle ground. There are some listeners that uh, aren't interested in hearing what we say either on the air or in text messages. And that's fine, too. We don't ignore you just because we don't uh, answer you doesn't mean we didn't read it. And it doesn't mean that we're not taking it to heart. Uh, one or two text messengers, uh, Loren, suggested, you know, I was... Uh, <laughs> I hope it didn't come across as advice or, or preachy or anything. Just I shared what I like to do when I'm in a restaurant and I have a bad experience. I like to let the establishment know. And mm-hmm. two of our listeners took the time to say, hey, GMAC, what about uh, when you get great service? 
Do you let the manager know? And the answer and you is do. absolutely yes. Because sure. people are inundated with the negative stuff. So it's great to give them praise when, uh, when it's required and when it's justified. And can I give some feedback right now before we bring in our next guest? We, of course, have been talking this morning about that person, the passenger who was taken off the plane at Winnipeg International Airport yesterday, Richardson, James Richardson International. And the idea that there at the, at the time there had been some concerns that maybe this passenger was presenting with sy- symptoms similar to COVID or coronavirus. And so that, you know, that's why paramedics went on with the masks and, and that person was taken off. And we later heard from patients that they had understood it to be just out of caution and that they were let off the plane because there was deemed to be no threat but that was never stated to us officially greg Mm -hmm. we've gone repeatedly back and forth to both the winnipeg regional health authority to the airport to wfps to shared health to the province to the minister right and said you know what's the answer here just so we can clear the concern that might be in the air no pun intended about whether or not this person had contracted this virus and you know a lot of the times we were getting bumped from one organization to the other. I had just asked again this morning, uh, Manitoba Health, for a response on whether the test results had come back or if this person was even in fact tested. I just said, good morning, I'm looking for an update. Do we know what the test results showed, if any? This is what I got back. Manitoba Health Seniors and Active Living is not able to provide any specific information related to yesterday's situation at James Armstrong Richardson International Airport as it could result in the release of personal health information. It goes on to talk about the preparation that has already occurred when it comes to dealing with coronavirus and that appropriate precautions were taken yesterday. Greg, this is the final line in the statement. It reads... At this time, there are no laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 cases identified in the province and the overall risk to the Manitobans remains low. So I, I'm surmising from that that we, we don't have any concern from that airport and that seemed to be the case yesterday, but certainly not clear and that's my feedback. Okay, well, I like the feedback because we've had that question multiple times from our listeners. Did I miss it? Is there something that we're, that we're not being told? No, there. well, I guess yes, the answer is that we haven't been told definitively, and that is because of the confidentiality, etc., mm-hmm. and that was clarified there, but uh, I think a, a lot of us would like a definitive answer on that question. We can make a lot of assumptions, but in this time of uncertainty, assumptions are a dangerous thing. For sure. And it's not like this is going to be the last, this is the first of many times we might get this situation at an airport or at a mall or other. Uh, as we know, the virus is spreading. And, and like we've been trying to tell listeners, 80% of those cases are mild. We're not trying to hit the panic button, but communication is always welcome. Okay. Now let's turn the page, shall Let, we? Let's Pun turn the page. And mo- yeah, absolutely. And quite literally, we'll do that to start this last half hour. Many of us like to unwind on the weekend. We were talking about what that looks like for us this coming weekend. And if your favorite way to relax includes curling up with a good book, then we've got a suggestion for you. We've shared with you before her work. It started with the book, Chin Up. We're calling it Bits Out, if that's okay, Miranda, just oh, because no. of where we are and the fact mm-hmm. that we're we're on commercial radio. And just so we're clear, we're using bits. That's not the actual word in the title. We're just saying it for radio. It's filed on the under the category... Loren of Chick Lit. Yeah, 
And its author, we just heard her there, Miranda O. Oh. She's just finished the series finale called Just Breathe Under Chin Up. It's out mm-hmm. and is in studio now. Good morning, Miranda. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. And we're all rhyming this morning, so we can put two and two together as what the chin up and bits out are. <laughs> <laughs> I w- I'd like to start, I know it's the third in this installment, the third mm-hmm. part or the final series, but the title itself, does that mean something to you in the sense of, because I've actually seen this used sometimes as a rallying cry or, you know, just a bit of, of fun. And I've even seen people, you know, um, use it as an acronym like Kudo. Kudo. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so it, it means something in the sense of like, you know, carry on. It exactly means it. So I got, I'm going to have to shout out my mom for this one because oh. that was something that she kept coaching me at when I was growing up. It was always self-confidence and inner confidence. And if you are walking into a room with clammy hands and a little bit nervous, then literally hold your head up high, put your shoulders back and you will feel more confident and you look more confident. So it's kind of like this fake it till you make it, right? Um, so the the series, the trilogy is an evolution of going through really, really tough stuff and continuing that motto and that positive mindset throughout it all with a little bit of dark, twisted inner humor. So that little voice inside of our head that's uh, either the devil or the angel or somewhere in between, we, we embrace that throughout the novels. Loren, I often say to Jeff Courier, we have this thing back and forth, and, it, and it's along the same lines. Miranda will say, be big. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. about that whole idea, right? When mm-hmm. the lion approaches or the bear approaches, mm-hmm. you, you have to make yourself big. Mm-hmm. And it instills not only internal confidence, but that is projected to your audience, whether it be a wild animal mm-hmm. or radio audiences or face to face. Exactly. Exactly. It's um power it's a it's a power pose. It stems from a power pose, right? And yes, it was a kind of a, a growing up joke between my my family and I, but uh, it definitely stemmed from that. And our main character goes through a bunch of really hard things. But guess what? We all go through hard things and we all got our stuff and and how do we connect? We connect by sharing. And so this was an opportunity for me to share some really dark stuff and to connect with people and to to not necessarily feel alone in the darkest of times. You use the word dark. What we're talking about here, it's more the idea of divorce and you're approaching your 30th birthday, you're a single woman, those kinds of things and, it, and the difficulties associated with that. Is that right? Yes. There's there's a, a huge portion of the of the novels or the story that is divorce, um, but then you have interwoven in there way before the divorce, the marriage, the love story, and that encompasses immigration. That encompasses long distance relationships. And then we move into mental illness and cancer and addiction. And it's just you have to buckle up with these books with a beverage of your choice in hand or nearby and a box of tissues and, and set yourself some good time aside because people tell me it's a page trainer because there's so much heavy stuff in there, but it's it's easily digestible. And again, with this whole chin up bits out, it's this constant little positive reminder that no matter how dark things may be with divorce or cancer or mental illness or addiction or this or that, that... It's that positive mental attitude to just be big, right? To keep taking that step forward or to just breathe. Everything's going to be okay.
It's such uh, classic advice, the whole idea of just breathe. Uh, a friend of mine texted me yesterday saying she was on her way to the emergency room and she's having heart palpitations and she's got something that she deals with. And I said, to breathe deeply. She goes, that's what my dad said to me. And I go, well, you know, that's the first instinct is is either to drink water, <laughs> drink lots of water or breathe deeply. Yeah. What is it about these books and sharing experiences, you know, on one end, uh, you're starting out, you know what you're in for. You might not understand how you're going to be inspired at the at the outgoing end of these books, but why are we so comfortable with the idea of jumping in with both feet and reliving other people's misery? It's the sense of not feeling alone um, and, and, and in our feelings. Um, we manifest feelings similarly. If you take away the scenario... Fear, love, anger, anxiety, joy, it manifests in similarly physically for us, right? So if, if I'm anxious, I might have a pit in my stomach, I might have clammy hands, I might be shaky, right? Or if I'm angry, I might turn red and get really hot and then start to yell. Like all those physical traits on those feelings, they manifest us in us similarly. So what I wanted to do was say, okay, you know what? I went through some pretty heavy stuff. People in my life went through some pretty heavy stuff. Um, I, I like writing. I like sharing and st- uh, storytelling. So I had, I said, you know what? Let's just, let's just see what other people do. And when they go through this stuff, I mean, going through a divorce before you're 30, being a caregiver to a, a cancer patient before my 23rd birthday, I never imagined, I never put myself in those shoes. And then when I did it, it was airplane mode because you just got to survive. And then afterwards, I'm like, whew. How do you digest it? So for me, sharing was digesting and assessing and analyzing and learning and attempting to take everything that I went through and implement it positively, learn from those choices that everybody made throughout those years. And again, when you share, you relate and you feel less alienated, less alone. You come together and you become stronger together. It's a powerful message, Miranda. And before we let you go, I want to circle back to what we started off in the beginning. And it gets back to the thing your mom was talking to you about. You share with others, you help others, and you walk into a room with confidence, chin up, bits out, kudo, whatever you want to shout out, you Mm -hmm. feel better. Mm -hmm. And so your message in so many ways, I think, is really empowering for anyone, let alone women. I had written into the intro to the statement that your book falls under the category chiclet and even... As I said it and we read it, I thought, I wonder if we should even be using that phrase anymore in the context of these kinds of books, because I know there's some authors over the years that have found that offensive. Where do you sit on that one? Um, I, I, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, they say it's chiclet, but I also say it's contemporary liter- mm-hmm. literature because really, like, I've I made up my own rules. My editor and my publishers and my publicists are like, girl, you can't do that. I'm like, watch me. <laughs> um, so it's it. You can call a book whatever you want to call it. It really, in in my opinion, maybe that's not a proper author thing to say, but um, a book is a book. Is if it's a if it's a good story and you you pick up the back of it or you read a couple pages in it and it connects to you. Who cares what kind of genre it is? It sounds like that's the way you live your life. Oh, it's like 100%. I'm not really interested in how you label it. You can label me. You can talk to me. You can look at me. You can call me whatever you want. Yeah. Just buy my book. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, like you can. It. I. I understand. It's not. I can't please everybody. Of I learned not. that, right? So, I mean, if it tickles your fancy, then amazing. If you pick it up and you shake your head, well, then I want to shake your hand and say, the, all the best. All the best in the future, and and then and then that's all. I don't, I know I'm not gonna make everybody want to pick this book up. Website podcast. Can people meet you this weekend? 
tell us yes, no, or otherwise in 90 seconds or less. Okay, so um, MirandaOOH.com is my website. My book launch party is tonight at 4th Cafe. I'm going to be reading throughout the night. Um, That starts at 5.30 this evening. And... What was the last question? Podcast. Oh, yeah. I have a podcast, so I interview people from around the world. We're called Quill and Ink, podcast for book lovers. Thank you so much, Miranda. Great to see you again. Thank you. Chin up, bits out. Did you say, did you say, Kuto? Kuto. Yeah, Kuto. To you. (laughs) Oh, pun intended. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.